All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation brought to you by the great folks at hsbc rugby sevens my name is dave quadrelli that is Harmon dial harman has got a new background new uh new background because we're doing the show remotely as we did yesterday uh today's show is also remote and then we are back in the iconic sheraton wall center in downtown vancouver on january 2nd but this is our final show of the calendar year 2023 harm what's what's going on in the background there i love this you got the dual lamps it's a it's a nice little setup you got there yeah and much better than the hotel rooms on uh on the road where the lighting would uh would actively fade out no this is uh the master bedroom had to makeshift set this up uh because uh the table that i normally record at was being used for other purposes and was really messy so I like how this turned out. Honestly, I might turn this into a more regular uh, set to use when we record virtually. I love it. I love it. Uh, we've already got a lot of people in the YouTube live chat. Already got a couple anyone else's in there. People pointing out to me that there's only seven weeks until pitchers and catchers report. Uh, can't wait for that. Cannot wait for that. But we got to talk about those Vancouver Canucks today. And it was it was a weird game. It was it, it was an interesting game. It was a bit of a snooze fest. Like I think uh, calling it sleepy, like I did an instant reaction, was probably the best way to describe that game. Was it was a sleepy effort by the Canucks, but it was also just a, a kind of a wait and see for the Philadelphia Flyers, and they waited and they saw a couple mistakes from the Canucks, all within the span of five minutes. It felt like, uh, and they took advantage. And we'll get to that. But first, I have to tell everybody about our presenting sponsor. As I said, 
HSBC World Rugby Sevens, Western Canada's largest sporting event. This year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby Sevens series. HSBC Vancouver Sevens, where high caliber rugby and the ultimate party weekend collide. SVNS truly is a sporting event like no other and a weekend you don't want to miss. For three full days from February 23rd to 25th, BC Place is going to be the place to be, folks. 12 women's and 12 men's sevens teams, including two Canadian squads, will take to the pitch for three full days of jam-packed rugby and partying. Tickets on sale now at vansevens.com, starting from just $40 per day. Speaking of ticket prices, I saw the price to get in last night. That, that was almost sold out building on a Thursday night. And I know a lot of people aren't working uh, this week, but almost a sold out game. And I think I saw the cheapest resale ticket was like 160 bucks to get into the building, Harmon. Uh, those people did not get their money's worth. Uh, it's safe to say. Yeah, I feel bad, especially through the first 30 minutes or so, the first half of the game. It felt like literally nothing was going to happen. Literally the most entertaining part of the game to that point was Quinn Hughes when he broke his stick, making a defensive stop with his foot. Like the Flyers were trying to make a passing play off the rush and Hughes soccer style kicks it away and the crowd was into it for that. Uh, Marcus Naslin being in the building, that got a, a good standing O. But other than that, yeah, it, it definitely wasn't um, worth the price of admission, which honestly we we haven't said much about the Canucks uh, this year, it was just one of those games where they weren't mentally sharp. They weren't turned on. Uh, they just weren't dialed in. And you could see it even in the types of goals that they surrendered. I mean, the Zamula one on the power play, that's a bit of a seeing eye shot. Got a bit of a screen in front. That's different. There wasn't a huge defensive breakdown there. But you look at Sean Walker's rush goal, for instance. I think that was Philadelphia's second goal of the game a big breakdown that you normally don't see where the Canucks already had two uh, of their four, two of their wingers up deep battling for the puck in the offensive zone. And Teddy Bluger, who's normally so responsible defensively and is quietly on a seven game point streak. He uncharacteristically makes a bad read. S same sort of um, play that I was describing uh, when Pedersen made a mistake in the San Jose game where Bluger was the third forward and he's sort of the center. And, and when you're in that spot and you have your two wingers sort of caught down low battling, you got to make sure that you're staying above the play. And in that situation, Bluger bited. He was sort of going in to try and get the puck. And, and you just can't do that unless you're 100% certain you're going to get the puck back. So he got trapped and all of a sudden it's a three on two. So with Walker activating up, Bluger's Bluger's um, a step behind closing on him. That's the, that's just a basic fundamental that you don't, um, that you don't want to make a mistake on the Zadorov turnover. Uh, it was a brutal game for him as a whole, just serving up, serving up pizzas. But what struck me too, wasn't just, okay, you're trying to make a fancy move in the neutrals on his last man back, but it's what I, what confused me was what was the upside of that play? Mm -hmm. Because exactly. Flyers, players there they still had three players back at the line he probably would have still had to chip and chase anyway it's one thing to try and make a dangle at let's say the offensive blue line where if you make that play you've got an odd man break or you've got a lot of time and space to set something dangerous up if Zadorov executed his play successfully he still had to go through through three flyers players it just made zero sense from a risk to reward standpoint 
And then even in the third period where after Bluger's goal, it looked like, okay, the Canucks are, are within two goals here. They got the power play. You're, you're thinking, okay, can they make this interesting again? Instead of creating chances, uh, building on that momentum on that shorthanded sequence. I mean, look, Ryan Paling is one of the fastest players in the NHL. So I don't have too many problems with him first beating Qu- Quinn Hughes to that loose puck. What I had a problem with was, Brock Besser was hustling back, but then puck watched. He wasn't on halfway at all. And DeSmith made that brilliant first save, but then you give him two chances. You you can't surrender that type of uh, look. The goalie just has no chance. So those are the types of mistakes that you look back at and go, they just weren't turned on mentally, which uh, isn't too surprising because they're coming off the holiday break and top of the Western conference. So you're, naturally going to feel a little bit comfortable. It's only human nature for your habits and details to slip a little bit. And that's precisely why on yesterday's show, I was saying that I like the fact that they're having to play Philadelphia right away because Philadelphia isn't as skilled at them as, as the Canucks are, but they're not going to give the Canucks any freebies. And if they don't bring their work boots, they're going to, they're going to lose this one. And that's exactly what happened. And it looked like Rick Tockett forced them to bring their work boots to practice today. As uh, we saw some Twitter video, it looked like uh, they were doing a bit of a bag skate, which I think is fitting after that game because you just nailed it, Harmon. It's not like the Philadelphia Flyers are a better team than the Canucks when it comes to their skill, but they outworked them last night. And look, like the Flyers have had that all season long. And I said it yesterday, so I'll try not to repeat myself too much. But look, that was a team that we saw them at the start of the year and thought, okay, that's a John Tortorella coach team. They're going to fall off by game 15 because all of the players are going to be too tired to keep that up. They haven't hit that wall yet. Like they've just kept going. And I'll tell you what, as much talk as Rick Tockett is getting for the Jack Adams here in Vancouver. And for good reason, John Tortorella has got to be right there. If this flyers team, you know, even a wild card spot, like I was going to say, if they, if they pick up a spot, in the in the metropolitan division um like a a top three spot in the division which is it's a pretty loaded division if they nail a spot there and hit the playoffs like you have to think that john tortorella is in at least in that conversation as well and hey like rick talk is probably the favorite right now sure but like it's going to be real real close if john tortorella um takes these flyers to the playoffs as well because that'll be it it'll be the work boots it'll be the um, you know, the, the band of misfit toys getting coached really, really well. And yeah, you have to give it to them if they continue it. I just, I don't, I don't even think you can question if they're going to fall off at this point now. Cause it's like, okay, well the fall off would have happened already. You would think, right. And I know someone yesterday was pointing out that the Canucks were in a good spot heading into this year, uh, this time of year when John Torello was their coach as well. But obviously that was a little bit different as well, but I just found how they played very interesting that they were, you know, they're probably the hardest working team in the NHL. Yeah. And it's a pretty close template for how the Canucks themselves need to play because they're, yes, they have high end skill. They have elite players, but they're not the type of team that is so structured and is so strong, both up front on the back end that they can um, get away with, um, with, with sort of playing a loose, loosey goosey style. And honestly, I think the game in the league as a whole has sort of changed to where there aren't many teams that can have success sort of just playing a looser brand of hockey where they're on sometimes off sometimes. I mean, maybe the Leafs get by in the regular season like that, but a great example is the Colorado avalanche where that's a team that in years past, I would watch them and go, they have so much skill. They have so much talent that they don't even need to be 
fully dialed in every every game of the year. They can sort of coast at 60, 70, 80%, and they can beat teams in their sleep. But even watching the Avs lately, the other night, blowing a four-nothing lead against the Arizona Coyotes, and you have Devon Taves calling out uh, some of his teammates, you're realizing that maybe it's parody. Uh, I don't know what, what the exact explanation is, but the list of teams in today's game that can just sort of put it in cruise control is so, so slim. And I honestly think it's good that the Canucks got this, um, you know, reality check uh, pretty quickly coming out of this holiday break because for their process moving forward for the rest of the regular season, and most importantly for the playoffs, you want them as dialed in and as sharp um, as as possible. It's, it's almost sometimes a detriment to a team if they have it too easy in the regular season where they can again, put it in cruise control. And and then when the playoffs sometimes hit, it's like they, they haven't been playing that same level of, um, of intensity. I mean, I think back to Bruins and Panthers are a perfect example. The Bruins just sort of faced no adversity in the regular season, had a historic uh, campaign. And then when the playoffs started, because the Panthers had been in this, essentially a playoff style fighting just to get in for essentially the final two, three months of the season, they were just on and able to elevate their game when the playoffs started to a level that the Bruins just weren't able to to sort of match. And so the way I kind of look at it is, again, coming out of the holidays and the Canucks feeling good after being top of the Western Conference, it's like when you wake up in the morning and you're feeling kind of tired and groggy and you splash your face with some cold water and it sucks, but then it wakes you up. I, I look at that as... Um, last night's performance where it's no big deal in, in the big picture. And, and actually if it gets them dialed in for some of these practices headed into the new year, I think that can only um, be a positive. Okay. So harm while you were away, big daddy, Frank and I made a bet with earth who was filling in for you uh, as your co-host and Frank and I both said, I said it first and then Frank agreed with me and earth didn't agree with us. So we made a bet. I don't know what we bet, but anyways, um, Basically, what we said was that the Canucks would not have another month of the season where they were below 500. Like, it, it won't happen again for the rest of the year. And I think if it's going to happen, which I don't think it will, January is going to be the month. Because right after they return on January 2nd, the Canucks have a bit of a gauntlet with the schedule. And Grady, if you could pull this up here. Um, the schedule that the Canucks have to start the month of January, uh, it is among the hardest that they're going to have. Uh, for the rest of the season, just in terms of how often they're playing. Uh, and some of the opponents are not going to be easy ones to face off against. So you've got uh, the game against the Ottawa Senators, obviously on the second, and then it's the Blues, Devils, Rangers, Islanders, Penguins, Sabres, uh, Blue Jackets. I know you've got some some rather lackluster teams in there, but you still have a lot of games. Jeez. Bad time to sneeze. A lot of, lot of games uh, on the road in a pretty condensed amount of time. And look, when we look at what this team's done so far this season, the only time they really fell off was the month of November when they had a schedule that was similar to this. Like they weren't playing necessarily world beaters, but they were playing a lot and they were playing on the road for a long time. So this is their um, longest road trip of the year. They've had one already, obviously, to start the year that was uh, just as long. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see where the Canucks are by mid-January. That's what we have to look forward to. They got a bit of a gauntlet, and then it's smooth sailing from there. We, we already know they've basically punched their ticket to the playoffs already, uh, but it's going to be interesting to see them kind of be in that playoff mode because you just brought it up. 
uh, they're not going to have much time to take their foot off the gas. And hopefully yesterday uh, was a splash of cold water on their faces. Uh, let's bring him in. Our pal Jeff Patterson is brought to you by Wendy's Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool Game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year and daily face-off. For those of you who smoke the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. Download the Wendy's app and score yourself 150 bonus reward points on your first order and grab a sweet victory from the mouth-watering jaws of defeat along with some fresh, never-frozen beef. Sign up to play Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool game to win weekly prizes like the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. I forgot to play this week, so I have no update uh, on that, but I'll be back. I'll be back uh, next week playing that game that I have yet to win. Not playing might be the strategy for you to last as long as possible. That's right. Just just recharge. Just take a chance <laughs> to recharge. Uh, just think about think about the past games that we've played and what went wrong. Um, it's not my fault. It's the players who aren't playing well enough for me. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay, uh, Jeff Patterson. Let's bring him in. Uh, our man, J-Pat, at the rink. Jeff, how cold are you right now? Uh, I'm all right. Uh, I came prepared today. Brought a heavy jacket on top of the hoodie. Uh, cold water, by the way. A splash of cold water no issue whatever that was that was coming through the screen after your sneeze there uh that's a little more of a concern to me so i kind of feel like i'm in the danger zone here joining you uh this afternoon we call it the splash zone but don't worry we're not in studio so you're okay jeff uh jeff tell me about canucks practice today we'll get we'll get to the game with the flyers but i want to hear about the practice because we all know how the game against the flyers went looked like there was a bit of a bag skate there am i did i see that correctly on twitter there was a skate at the end. I, I, I think firm but fair was sort of the tone of this practice. Uh, if people thought that Rick Tockett was going to lose it and, you know, four days here between games and it was essentially going to be a training camp again, uh, there was none of that. Uh, was there a little bit of skating at the end? Sure. Uh, I'm always up for goaltenders having to do the skating drills as well because it just looks funny uh, in all their gear as they labor up and down the ice. But uh, it, it certainly didn't cross any lines. This wasn't punishment for last night. This was Rick Tockett with a plan in place. Uh, most of the practice was five on five today. I have to think that some of Saturday's practice will be devoted to special teams because the power play is becoming more of an issue. And I think that's becoming more apparent every game out for the Vancouver Canucks. And it certainly was against the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, you know, there was a big hit at one point. Uh, Nikita Zadorov caught the... Uh, Andre Kuzmenko and they both went down in a heap and that drew a, a big reaction from the fans but or from the fans from Kuzmenko it was just solid contact and when you're Nikita Zadorov and you're 6'6 and 240 pounds if you get the better of uh, uh, any player in the NHL uh, you're probably going to send him flying and so Kuzmenko got up a trademark smile on his face uh, of course the the big news if we can call it that was Phil DiGiuseppe back on the left side with JT Miller and Brock Besser. And so, uh, you know, that rotating wheel of wingers uh, continues. And Nils Hoaglander had certainly, you know, he had earned his opportunity with his play, but kind of quietly here. One goal in his last nine uh, scored the deflection goal in Nashville when Harm was out on the road trip. So he saw that with his own two eyes. But, you know, Hoaglander's got a little quiet. The effort level is still there, but uh, they're trying to find somebody that can bring that level of play up on that line. Because when I talk about things going quietly, guys, like nobody seems to be talking. I'm trying, are people listening here when I say it, you know, JT Miller's got one goal in his last eight games. Has a scored eight, one goal in his last 10 and two in his last 16. And so, uh, you know, it can't just be that third line that you rely on all the time. Now is Phil DiGiuseppe the answer? I would say no. Uh, he started the year there. He earned that opportunity with a strong training camp and a preseason. 
but his last 24 games, guys, one goal, and that was an empty netter in Montreal. He hasn't beaten an NHL goaltender since October 27th at home against the St. Louis Blues. So you're not looking for a ton of offense from Phil Giuseppe, but at the same time, that's a top six role on this hockey club. And so uh, I don't think you can completely ignore that, but I think, you know, for Di Giuseppe to be successful there, it's back to the staples, forecheck, separate guys from the puck, you know, hound pucks, turn them over. Uh, I think to opening night, that Brock Besser goal, when that was textbook, when Di Giuseppe got in on the forecheck, stripped the puck, Miller sets up Besser. They need more of that from Phil Di Giuseppe. So, um, you know, it's kind of back to the future, I guess, with this hockey club. And we'll see if, you know, second time around for PDG works uh, as well as it did in the early going because, uh, hey, he was a fit there uh, for the first handful of games, but his play has tailed off to the point he's been a healthy scratch five times in the last month. JPAD, I think a lot of people would have understood shaking up that Miller line and maybe bumping Hoaglander further down the lineup, but it appeared that he was potentially the extra um, potentially makes him in line to be a healthy scratch uh, against Ottawa. Do you think if the coaching staff goes down that route of making Hoaglander healthy scratch, is that justified or do you think that's a bit harsh? Yeah, it feels harsh to me. I mean, he's a double-digit goal scorer uh, on a team that, again, some of the primary guys haven't been doing an awful lot offensively. And and Hoaglander, I, I thought he had played himself to a point where he was out of consideration. And I, I guess nobody can ever uh, you know, feel that comfortable. But uh, I thought he had done enough to be a regular. Uh, I still find it kind of wild that he can't get a spot on the second unit power play when Pia Suter or Sam Lafferty or Ilya Mikheyev even, uh, you know, continue to be fixtures on the second unit. Uh, again, the power play, whether it's the top unit or the second, uh, nobody's having much success these days. But, you know, I, I kind of think that Nils Hoaglander becomes a, almost a scapegoat in this case. And again, this team's done so much winning. You know, it was one loss, but a bad loss against Philadelphia. I, you know, I don't want to see rash changes. Um, now their options are somewhat limited, but I am surprised that, you know, a guy like Nils Amon, I suppose, can keep his spot in the lineup. They've got lots of guys that can do some penalty killing, but clearly they like Amon for that reason. And that seems to be what keeps him uh, in the lineup on a nightly basis right now. But uh, I don't know. I, I think this team is better with Nils Hoaglander in the lineup and having opportunities to contribute. If he has to drop a little bit lower, that's fine. But him coming all the way out, yeah, I'm not sure that uh, I totally agree with that move. Uh, Jeff, just your takeaways from last night's game. I feel like there's so many talking points. I don't want to steer you in one direction. So just give us whatever you want about that debacle of a game last night. Yeah, I mean, the first period was awful hockey, sat there in the press box with harm. And uh, we, I think, universally across the board on press row, uh, kind of wish that uh, there could be a do-over after 20 minutes. Uh, just scrub that from the memory banks and try again. And, you know, some of that's coming out of the holiday break, I suppose. But both teams are. I mean, the break was essentially the same. And Philly had to fly cross-continent. I mean, the Canucks should have had an advantage. We're talking like their practice on that first day back on Wednesday. Yeah, had a spirited morning skate. They should have been ready to go. And this is becoming a bit of an issue. You think back to the Minnesota game here earlier in the month when, yeah, they won 2 nothing, but it took them 14 minutes to get a shot on goal. You think of the game in Chicago after the shootout lost in Minnesota, they were being outshot 10 nothing by the Blackhawks. And I know it was back-to-back. So these sluggish starts, again, they've found ways to overcome them. You know, it's impossible to argue with the record. They had picked up nine points in nine straight games, but it's about 
reevaluating the standards and trying to play as close as you can to a complete 60 minutes. And they certainly didn't do that against the Flyers. So uh, the start wasn't great. Obviously, those three goals in short succession in the second period did them in. Uh, for me, though, and, you know, you asked me or you didn't want to steer me, uh, I'll jump on the soapbox here and talk about a power play that is 10th in the NHL. And I guess on the surface, if people look and they say, hey, a top 10 power play, you know, really, how bad is it? But, you know, it's running at 12% over the last six games. That's not good enough. The two power play goals in that stretch against San Jose and against Chicago. Well, guess what? There are a lot of better teams in the NHL than the Blackhawks and the Sharks. So uh, the last six games, power play hasn't been great. If you go back earlier in the month, I mean, the last 15 games, the power play is working at around 14%. You dial it all the way back to the night the Islanders were here when the Canucks scored three times in mid-November. Since then, this is a power play that's running at around 16%. So more than half the season, the last 20 games, the power play at 16%, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Uh, it's not good enough on balance, but it's not good enough when you think of the assembled talent that they've got here. So absolutely torched teams in the early going this season. Uh, power play looked unstoppable. It was running up over 30%. You know, was it going to stay there? Probably not, although the Oilers did last year. Um and it really has just kind of fallen off a cliff over the last 20 games. And so I'm curious to see. It was all five-on-five five work at practice. No special teams whatsoever. I have to think that some of Saturday's practice will be devoted to the power play. Sunday's going to be a team day off for them. And then they get back at it on Monday ahead of the Tuesday game against Ottawa. So they've got some time in here. But for me right now, it is about a power play. That, like Quinn Hughes has one power play point in his last 14 games. How? You guys are smart hockey minds. Make that make sense. Um, he had 15 power play points in the first 22 games of the season. He has one in the last 14. Like that, it just boggles my mind. So teams are adapting. Life is about making changes. If other teams are trying to take Quinn Hughes away, you know, you've got an extra player out there on the ice. Like find that extra player, find that extra space, create two-on-one opportunities elsewhere and exploit those. Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm losing sleep right now over the fact that Quinn Hughes has one power play point in the last 14 games. That just makes no sense to me whatsoever. Jay Pat, I wanted to ask you just big picture. We're about to turn the calendar over to 2024. When you look back at 2023, it's been a bit of a whirlwind for the Canucks. So many changes talk it, you know, coming in in January, the Bohorvat trade, um, a surprising deadline where they made the move for Heronic and of course leading to this uh, really impressive season so far. What will you remember most about 2023 from a Canucks perspective? Yeah, I, I guess you go back to that third week of January when they made the coaching change. Obviously I'll remember Bruce's final night behind the bench, never seen anything like that and probably won't ever again, but you know, that is water under the bridge now. I wasn't necessarily on board with the coaching change at the time when you had Connor Bedard out there. And I know it was going to be a long shot, but I, I guess in a parallel universe, would have loved to have seen the Canucks up their lottery odds just to see where the, the balls might have taken them. They elected to go in the complete opposite direction, though, and they felt those 36 games with a new head coach would allow him to put his structure in place so that they could hit the ground running. They got it right. I mean, the proof's in the pudding now when you look at the record that they've got near the top of the league, uh, 36 games in. And so Rick talking had 36 games at the end of the season. He's had 36 games to this point now. And they have 10 outright losses. So, uh, you know, 2023 was the year that structure finally arrived uh, in Vancouver. And it has served the Canucks well. Uh, but yeah, it was a year of transition, but so was the year before. And unfortunately for them, the previous attempt, it was kind of like spinning wheels. And it does feel now like they have 
surrounded their good players with better supporting cast, that third line right now going about as good as any line in hockey. So they've still got a long way to go. And it was interesting, Dave, as I was waiting to join you guys and you were talking about, you know, the month of January and that long seven-game road trip. Uh, I think if there's a month where they may struggle to hit 500, look at it February. Like, they start to play some of the really good teams in the National Hockey League, and that has been an issue. Like, they have feasted on bottom feeders. Uh, Edmonton, when they were struggling, uh, obviously took care of San Jose in three of four. Uh, you know, you look at what's left on their schedule, though, guys. It's like, they haven't seen the LA Kings. They've played one game against Vegas. They haven't played Boston yet. They haven't played Winnipeg. Uh, they haven't seen Detroit having a decent season. Uh, Washington's been a bit of a surprise, but they don't give up an awful lot, and, and they're playing well. Uh, they haven't played Arizona yet, and the Arizona Coyotes having a, a nice year. And, you know, those teams that I mentioned, if you look at the standings, are all in the top 10 defensively uh, in terms of goals against. And when you look at trying to break down Philadelphia last night, when you try to look at breaking down both of the games against Minnesota this month, I mean, they beat the Wild 2-0, but then they only scored one goal in Minnesota – they had trouble breaking down the Wild. Vegas came in here, ran their show. Uh, they scored one goal when it was already 4-0 for the, the Golden Knights. So, you know, I, I am curious to see. I think this team knows what's coming. But will they be prepared to pass some of those tests against the really good teams and the stingy teams defensively? Like, it's fun to score the goals when it's 8-9-10 against the Sharks and you're lighting up the Oilers 8-1 to on opening night. But when you play these grinding games, and Rick Tockett talked about the need to be comfortable in scoreless games midway through a hockey game, and, and I'm not sure that the Canucks felt all that comfortable last night against the Philadelphia Flyers. So that's, to me, what I'm excited about. They've set themselves up now. They've positioned themselves beautifully for a second half. I still think this is absolutely a playoff team, but there are going to be tough tests against some of the really good teams in the National Hockey League. The Canucks believe that they're one of them. Uh, but let's see how they fare and how do they go about generating offense on those nights where you have to squirm and you've got to fight for every inch of ice that's out there. Because to me, that's something that this team uh, hasn't done a good enough job of on too many nights this season. All I'm hearing is that my bet with Earth, Frank and I's bet with Earth, uh, <laughs> we might come out on the losing end of that for two straight months. That's all I'm hearing, Jeff. Uh, well, they've, you know, look, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. Like last night was yeah. a bad game. It was, but they've been a good team at bouncing back. So I'll give them every opportunity. Ottawa plays twice in the Eastern time zone before they have to fly out here for the game on Tuesday. Like there's no excuse. Like the Canucks should be sitting here lying in wait for the Senators. They've already beaten Ottawa once this year. Uh, the Senators don't have a ton of goaltending. Like, you know, and so it's kind of perfect scenario for the Canucks to have a bounce back game against an Ottawa team that has played so much less hockey than anybody else that they've got this crazy second half schedule. And part of that is, you know, a couple of games here between Christmas and New Year's, and then they have to fly cross continent. So, um, you know, they better be better on Tuesday night. It would, hard, it would be hard not to be. Uh, Jeff, quickly here, I just want to get your thoughts on this final question here. Um, a lot of conversation right now about trading for a top six winger. And I have to be completely honest with you. The longer I watch the third line be the only line to produce and PDG in the top six, the more I say, go get someone like go get someone. I don't care if it's a big fish. Like I, I wrote for uh, my, all I want for Christmas is go get Elias Lindholm, whatever it costs, go get Elias Lindholm, add Elias Lindholm to this team. You're laughing. Uh, your thoughts on adding a winger. Like, is this team going to do this at some point? 
Well, Jim Rutherford certainly has uh, history on his side, so I'm not betting against it. And Patrick Alvin uh, has learned from his boss, and he's been as active as anybody, as people know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Canucks recognize that uh, you know they've made the move for a defenseman. They're getting Carson Soucy back here. He was an extra paired with Mark Friedman at practice, so uh, we'll see where that goes in the days ahead. But uh, first look, when he was out here for a full practice, he was uh, basically the seventh defenseman. Um but I think with the, that defense core and the goaltending that they've had most nights this year, you know, I, I think they feel pretty comfortable in that regard. So that to me puts the focus squarely on a top six that, you know, has some star power, but also has some glaring weaknesses. And, and I, and I'm with you. I think now like that's where the attention turns and it's a question of, do you go and get a play driving winger with some scoring chops or, are you really looking for another center so that JT Miller is that play driving winger that, you know, has the the scoring potential. And I think that that creates some opportunity and some options for the Vancouver Canucks. They don't have to pigeonhole themselves in, you know, finding the best winger uh, available. Uh, if you can find a guy that has some versatility, maybe that allows the flexibility to, to slide JT Miller over to the, to the wing, whatever the case, like Elias Pettersson's production has slowed down considerably. And I think part of that is uh, he's been asked to play with, different line mates Kuzmenko's been in and out of the lineup you know Sam Lafferty got a chance Pia Suter uh, I'd love to find an upgrade there so that Elias Pettersson could establish chemistry and play with regular line mates and guys that can finish more than Kuzmenko has now if they could get you know wave the magic wand and get Andre Kuzmenko last year back and being that player uh, that'd be great but I, I just I'm not feeling that and you know, again, Elias Pettersson got off to this incredible start charged out of the gates and was leading the NHL in scoring He's not even a point-a-game guy over the last 18 games, though. If you split the 36 games they've played in half, in the most recent 18, he's got 15 points. So, you know, he's close to a point a game, and I'm not panicking about him, but we know that he's capable of so much more, And but he can't do it alone. And so, yeah, I, I think if they recognize that this is an opportunity, and I also think really, and Dave, I know you wrote about this recently, the opportunity, I think, is to win the Pacific Division and avoid that 2-3 matchup. That it's not just about, you know, bettering your chances and, and being as good as you can. Uh, the stakes are massive here because that 2-3 matchup in the Pacific Division, like a really good team. I think a team with legitimate Stanley Cup aspirations is going to be out after the first round. And that's just the way it goes in these divisional playoffs. And unfortunately for the Canucks, they may be in that two, three spot. And you know, the matchup may not be favorable for them. So uh, they haven't seen the Kings. Let's see what those teams all look like after the trade deadline. But yeah, I, I think if this team is going to maximize its potential and recognize the opportunity in front of it, that it needs an upgrade uh, in that top six, without a doubt. Jeff, great stuff as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Happy new year. This will be the last time we talk to you uh, for the year 2023 and we will see you next week and next year. I had to make that joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, at least you didn't sneeze. So we got that going <laughs> for us. But uh, hey, it's been fun with you guys uh, throughout this hockey season. It's been a fun hockey season. Uh, and we love talking about it and breaking it all down. And so uh, lots of uh, those moments ahead. Uh, Happy New Year to you guys and to uh, all your, your viewers and, and podcast listeners as well. Jeff, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, that was Jeff Patterson. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. 
They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot of good stuff in harm. i got to be honest, man. I'm like three maybe four weeks away from just throwing out the quads plan and i had a quads plan last year and it didn't work out but uh i think this year i'm getting closer to going completely unhinged and just throwing out like a trade package to go get both elias lindholm and adam henrique and like those are your two moves you've got to make those two moves and all of a sudden you've got like a a a very good team here and look I, i i'm not there yet i'm not there yet but i'm like three weeks away from throwing that out there as rentals is, is that literally as rentals you're not going to resign either of them you're you're just doing it because you want to load up for this run no okay i no no okay so hear me you out give up a first round pick for a rental like i look yes. i get it on the one hand you look at the timeline for demko's contract hugh hughes contract exactly. uh miller being at 30 i think he's 30 right now and this being one of the best seasons you're going to get from that contract, how well everything is clicked. Yes. This is a year I think to add absolutely, but, and, and I wouldn't be opposed to rentals if it's, let's say that second tier, like Henrique is, is a rental. I wouldn't mind that. Sure. Right. Yeah. But if we're talking about ponying up in a first in a, in a good <laughs> prospect for Lindholm as a rental, that um, that's too far for me. So Lindholm is going to be the number one trade target as we approach the deadline, right? Just looking in years past, like I'm not convinced Lindholm is going to be a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's one year left on the deal. Look at that Bo Horvat package. Isn't that exactly. And, and, and that's what I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a better, was there a better deal or was Bo Horvat the top trade target last year? <sighs> what did my, what did I go for again? Too much. And he's getting paid too much as well. Um, but although, like I'm, I'm although Meyer was an RFA, so not quite the same thing. Little different, exactly. So, like, let's use the Bull Horvat one because that's the one I want to use. Like, Bull Horvat, that deal was less than what you would usually give up, like, in years past, right? Because, like, what's the Canucks equivalent if they make that trade with the Calgary Flames? Like, they're going to get Elias Lindholm. Like, what's your equivalent to that? First, because Atu Ratu. No, no, no. Like, let's let's be honest here. Like, you're looking for a 
like Achirachi is like a B A minus prospect. Like he's not an A plus prospect yeah. or anything like that. So you're not giving up Tom Lander. You're not giving up Jonathan Lukermacki. Both guys we have discussed being vital that they hit on ELCs. You're not giving up either of those guys to go get Elias Lindholm. And the Islanders were able to sign re sign Bo Horvat. The Canucks aren't going to be doing that with Elias Lindholm. They're probably not re-signing Nikita Zadorov. So this is for a rental. So I'm just looking at it and saying, okay, let's say you can give up the um, the 2025 first round pick is obviously the one that would be more ideal, in my opinion. You want to keep this one because like you and I have discussed many a times before, you need more first round picks to hit if you're going to be a playoff team for years. So you're not mortgaging the future too, too hard. You're doing it with your competitive window and you need to identify when that competitive window is and harm in my opinion you just laid it out the Quinn Hughes contract the Thatcher Demko contract that ain't that long so you need to go all in here because you don't want to get to the the level of being where yes you're in the playoffs but all of a sudden you're the New York Islanders and you can't do anything in the playoffs and you're just in this level of mediocrity but at least you're on the right side of mediocrity where you're actually making the playoffs sure you're not where the Canucks were for years under Jim Benning but how much better is it to get bounced in the first or second round every single year I don't know man I'm just looking at it and saying this is a year where if you go out and you get Elias Lindholm like if you add Elias Lindholm to this team they are significantly better. Like this is a significantly better team. If you add Elias Lindholm to it, you have the flexibility of moving JT Miller to the wing. You have the flexibility of uh, putting him with Elias Pettersson and having him play the wing or having Elias Pettersson play the wing, whatever you have a better face-off man on the Elias Pettersson line. Maybe that line can start taking matchups, uh, freeing up easier matchups for JT Miller and his line mates. Just acquiring this guy. And I, I threw it out right before Christmas as a, oh, this isn't going to happen, but uh, it would be great if it did. Now I'm thinking, and I said I was three weeks away. Turns out that's happening today. Now I'm thinking you could put together, like, Harm, tell me if you do this package or not, or if it's a comparable of what the Canucks gave up to get Bo Horvat. You would be giving them a contract because the Canucks took back Anthony Bovillier. That was part of it, right? You'd be giving them, like, I don't know, Connor Garland, Nikita Zadorov, I don't know, one of those two. Pick pick whoever you want. You're, you're giving them a contract to make room for Elias Lindholm, Right. You are giving them a B plus slash A minus prospect who, you know, like maybe it's even Nils Huglander that Calgary is looking for, right? Let's say you're giving them, uh, just just for argument's sake, the package is Connor Garland, Nils Huglander, and the 2025 first round pick. Are you doing that trade to grab Elias Lindholm in like, not even at the deadline, like ahead of the deadline, like you're getting him for most of the month of February? No. Why? I'm not. Well, also, look at, okay, you're giving up Garland, right? And obviously, Lindholm's a better player than Garland, but is he that much better that I'm also going to give up a first-round pick and um, and another piece? I'll I'll, I'll tell you this much. The moment Garland's gone, that third line is falling off cliff. That's a good point. Maybe because I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this. The third line is one of the best third lines in the NHL right now. Who do you think is driving it? Connor Garland, who historically has been a terrific five-on-five performer or do you think it's Bluger and Joshua who before this year have been fourth liners yep you're right and and the chat is jumping in with a lot of no quads here here's the comments in succession (laughs) hell no quads no quads no quads stirring the pot not a chance bad trade quads 
So, okay, okay. Let's say it's not Connor Garley. Maybe I was a little short-sighted there. Let's say it's not Connor Garley. Let's just say it's in Kizaru. Well, the point is, is you're just trying to make the money work, okay? And yes, Connor Garland is bringing more value to this team. So let's let's just say it's Nikita Zadorov for whatever reason. It's Nikita Zadorov because you're just trying to make the money work. Okay, are you making that trade? Still no, because I'll, I'll say this: the problem with the Canucks right now is even like they could finish really high in the West, and I still think that they're probably not going to finish first in the Pacific, uh, given the way LA and Vegas are on paper. Canucks haven't, as as JPAT mentioned, they haven't played LA once. Uh, they they've only played Vegas. Uh, they've only played Vegas once, so. The schedule does get tougher in the second half. And as much as many times on the show, we've spoken about how we're not worried about PDO and regression because the Canucks have a cushion and so many other parts of the, uh, of the team have been working well. At some point, there, there is still going to be some level of drop off there because Canucks are shooting above 11% at five on five right now. There is not a single NHL team since 2007 that's finished a season shooting 11% or higher. So there is some, like, even if it's a little bit, there is still some drop-off coming. And if so if you're not going to win the Pacific, you're trading a lot for rental, and you might still end up playing Vegas or LA in round one of the playoffs. That's still a tough matchup. I would, st- I would still think the Canucks are the underdog there. It's just, look, I wouldn't be opposed to giving up a first-round pick for the right type of player some somewhere between the next you know six to 12 months um but it has to be the right age contract fit and i don't think a rental is the right fit that's way too logical you're probably you're probably bang on because you bring up a really good point that look i'm basing a lot of this off you got to go for first in the pacific because it's such an advantage but then it turns into a disaster if you don't get there and there is a good chance that the canucks don't get there and here's a better one here's a better trade okay ready this one from michael lashano kuzmenko pod colson and the 2025 first round pick come on harm for elias lindholm i i for me that's not a bad <laughs> proposal but i i just still don't want to give up a first for a, a rental I just, I, I like, I can't, the downside risk of giving up a first for a rental and then playing LA or Vegas in round one, where you're probably the underdog is it, it, the downside risk is too high there. And again, I'm not opposed to adding in that second tier or again, a player like Henrique, I, w- I wouldn't mind, but man, I'd prefer to hold on to that first because imagine then in the off season, there's, let's say, the ideal like second line center available on on the trade market where you're like okay we can bump miller to the wing then or let's say there's another right shot top four defenseman a high-end piece that you really really like Uh, keeping in mind that the canucks have several expiring defensemen on the current roster like cole like zadorov so you have sort of needs that you might that you might want to fill there you might be thinking oh oh that's a that's a great target for us um as a medium term fit, but if you then, then don't have a first round pick in your trade arsenal, then you, then you aren't able to make that uh, move. So the point I'm trying to make is yes, there's going to be a time and place where giving up a first makes sense, but you have to be very strategic and certain that it's the best return on your investment. And I don't think a rental is the, 
is the best return on your investment this year. Sticking with rentals, no, I'm, I'm not going to do too much more. But like, I really like Adam and Reek. Like, I think Adam and Reek is probably like he is in that second tier, obviously, um, probably in the twilight of his career. But like, he's an upgrade on PDG. Like, I think that's the conversation we've been having since the start of the year. Is you can't go into a playoff run with Phil Giuseppe as this team's second line winger, and all of a sudden he's right back there. So I don't know. Like, obviously, you hope. Hoaglander just kind of bounces back after I don't know like a couple bad games maybe but you just I don't know I like I like the idea of going out and doing something this year it's just I don't know man maybe I'm uh maybe I'm too too uh too into just straight fun hockey because Elias Lindholm on this team would be super fun like Elias Lindholm on this team would be so much fun and I think that's what I'm uh basing this off of so you're probably right you're probably bringing way more logic to the conversation than I am but uh I don't know man I really like me some Elias Lindholm, and I think he'd be a really nice fit uh, on this team. But maybe we'll leave that up to Santa Claus. So far, he has not delivered. Uh, okay, let's get to our prospect report, brought to you by our friends at Four Winds Brewing. Family-owned and operated in Delta, home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager, a crisp, clean, and easy-drinking beer, a beer for everyone, a perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. World juniors are on. Go order yourself some Four Winds Light. Ask for Four Winds Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. And I'll tell you what, Harm, the Four Winds Brewing were flowing today in many Canadian households because Tom Willander... Opened the scoring for Team Sweden. Well, I guess maybe not many Canadian households. Maybe many Vancouver Canucks fans uh, households. Because Tom Willander opened the scoring for Sweden against Canada today. Uh, as the Swedes took down uh, Team Canada by a final score of 2 to nothing, With Tom Willander scoring the first goal. And Jonathan LeCaramacchi being instrumental in the second goal. Uh, of this game he picks up the primary assist but like I said he was instrumental uh, kind of got created off of a shot uh, from Jonathan Lucaramaki which you like to see I'm really liking what I'm seeing from both of these guys and we have the Willander goal here don't we Grady um, let's bring it up Tom Willander opening the scoring for Sweden uh, just walking in and rifling one and I'll tell you what harm this guy's gonna be signing at the end of this year you heard it here first folks he's signing he's uh, gonna go right onto Quinn Hughes wing and it's going to be magical watching those two play together. But yeah, I, I liked it. I li In all seriousness, probably going to be next season, not this season. But I like what I've been seeing from Tom Willander at this tournament, especially this goal. Yeah, he's been solid. And also shout out to uh, Elias Pettersson on the back end there. He's been solid. He's been physical, eating up uh, a ton of important minutes. There was a two-on-one odd man break that Canada had, and Pettersson played it perfectly the way that he timed his um, his poke check, Meyer, uh, his diving poke check, Meyer should be taking notes. Uh, it was um, it was a beautiful break breakup, and so I've, I mean, all three Canuck prospects have been promising in this tournament so far. I mean, more uh, more good stuff from Lakaramaki. Where yeah, the assist wasn't anything special. It was a long point shot that created a rebound, but the play beforehand as a whole. I thought it was an encouraging sequence where first he gets that slot chance in the middle, grade A look, gets denied. But even as Sweden recovered the puck and he regained possession, I liked the level of deception I've been seeing from him this year, not only at World Juniors, but even in the little bit of SHL tape I've caught where he 
can throw defenders off with his body movement. And what I mean by that is after Sweden recovered the rebound, Lekaramaki sort of gets the puck, you know, somewhat high in the offensive zone, sort of cutting across, gets towards the middle, and then he drops his shoulder as if he's going to uh, take a shot. But instead, he keeps cutting across, creates that little bit of space, um, and makes a pass back to the point. Obviously, eventually leads to the goal. But the point I'm trying to make is there's a level of confidence and poise I'm seeing with him with the puck, um, especially with. To me, it's it's the deceptiveness that is going to bode well for him long term. That I didn't see and see as much of last season that I'm encouraged to see now. Yeah. I mean, it's like we said with Dave yesterday, like you have to be pleased with everything that every Canucks prospect, all three of them are doing at this tournament. And hey, like two nothing over Canada, that's a statement game. Like that's going to, like that sets the bar. They were favorites coming into this tournament. But look, I know Team Canada wasn't in that kind of conversation with the USA and Sweden, but with Sweden playing the way they did today, they really cemented it. Uh, for everyone to see and it's going to be interesting to see how this tournament shakes out Grady can we see the uh can we see the lander goal one more time I just want to take another look it is a beauty <laughs> oh just beautiful and of course credit to TSN uh for the clip but my goodness just look at that and, and RW Hockey in the chat said nothing special goalie was screened I don't know about that I don't know about that. I think you're just looking at a Canadian goalie and he looks screened all the time. Anyways, <laughs> um, uh, let's get to anyone else. I'm kind of bad time management by me here, uh, but let's get to anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved in his up in the YouTube live chat. It's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. Offer valid in Canada. Subject exchange. Terms, of course, do apply. Okay. By the way, uh, I was going to say, here. I-, I wanted to quickly say, I was thinking back um, to our discussion earlier, and you know what the dream scenario for the Canucks would be? Uh, related to the deadline, it's not going to happen, but I, I want to mention it anyway. The New Jersey Devils are sort of fighting for their playoff lives right now. The dream scenario would be that they fall out and um, realize that they can't afford to keep Tyler Toffoli beyond the season and the Canucks reacquire Toffoli as a rental like they did in 2019-20 uh, for a similar price. Um what was it? A second round pick and Tom Madden. So just a second and some other prospect that would be, I think an awesome scenario. Who's the equivalent of Tyler Madden right now. I'd have to think about it. I don't want to just throw a, throw out a name without Max. Really? (laughs) No, (laughs) but it would, I mean, Tyler Madden was like a B prospect at the time. He wasn't anything special. That's that's the interesting thing, though, because, yeah, you're right. He was nothing special, but he's still a third round pick and he still carried a higher pedigree than a guy like Max yeah. Sasson, who I obviously threw out as a joke. But like, is Atu Ratu Tyler Madden? Because I think it, he's higher, higher. Yeah, he, he's higher. And that's that's what I find so interesting is because Tyler Madden was somebody that we were all looking at at the time and being like, well, you, you can't give up Tyler Madden. Like, you can't be giving up Tyler Madden right now. Like, you need him to hit. And of course, he didn't hit for anybody, but 
now you're in Aturatu territory and you're thinking the exact same thing. And it's gonna, I'm just saying it's gonna be interesting in five years if we're like, man, I can't believe the Canucks didn't give up Aturatu for uh for Tyler Toffoli. And I love that. I love that you brought but that game up. The That's Devils are probably game. gonna get back on track. I, they're too they're too good of a team, so yeah, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. Okay. Uh this one from Jeremy Lee. Is there anything that the NHL should adopt from the double IHF? Three point system, VR for penalty calls. Yeah, I think both of those things. Like, I those are probably the two things that I would pick out. I really like the three-point system. I think if the NHL was using the three-point system, the Canucks would be way higher than everybody else right now uh, with all their regulation wins. Uh, and then VR for penalties. Yeah, just nobody likes to see penalties get missed and get called incorrectly. So I like both of those. I like the three-point system for sure, especially because it would spice up uh, playoff races. It feels like a lot of years when, think about, the Canucks in 2021-22 when Green got fired midway through and they were on this incredible run with Boudreaux, but it was so hard to make up ground because other teams would continue to pick up OT or and shoot out losses. So at a certain point, you would end up with, like the Canucks were perpetually, it felt like four to like eight points out of a playoff spot, no matter how much they kept winning. And eventually there obviously came a point. I think it was the March homestand where they leveled out and stopped winning as frequently as they were. But I think it would make playoff races a lot more exciting if uh, you sort of changed up uh, the point system in the standings. I absolutely love it. Okay, Oznuck asked, PD skating, uh, thoughts on this? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it, it looks different than October. And that's the thing that... Like J-Pat brought it up that Elias Peterson can't do it on his own and he needs help. But like he was doing it on his own, right? Like he, he was doing it on his own uh, to start the season and he just hasn't been lately. And yeah, like I think the skating's one thing of many that's kind of looked off. But although I think he's looked better recently than he did um, maybe like two, three weeks ago uh, where he, it looked like he was falling down at least once or twice a shift. Uh, seems like he's staying on his feet a little bit more, which is good. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you have any thoughts on PD skating? I thought he had good jump against the Flyers. If I'm being honest, that line was to me the most consistent in terms of creating offensive threats. I know the third line scored, but in terms of uh, a high volume of scoring chances, the Pedersen line they they were I think quietly generating a fair fair amount of offense. I mean, I'm thinking of first period for example a Patterson rush where he was in the slot and it looked like he was going to shoot but then he made a beautiful pass to Kuzmenko and if it wasn't for Atkinson sliding all the way across and making a, a desperation desperation uh, block that was going to be in the back of the net that was an automatic goal and honestly this is the one part that we're kind of forgetting about Patterson and Kuzmenko last last year is their on-ice shooting percentage was really high so look looks and chances like that we're going in and that totally changes the perception of then how we're talking about these um players because we don't remember the chances that almost went in we only remember the ones that actually converted into goals and so last night's a perfect example no like we're gonna we're gonna look back at this flyers game and bring up Patterson and nobody's really going to remember it as, Oh, they were pretty effective offensively. And yet if they had, if that chance, which under normal circumstances, probably a goal, um, you know, we'd probably, we'd be talking about them in, in a different light. And the other thing I wanted to mention is J Pat had mentioned that 
Uh, Pedersen's below the point per game mark recently. Uh, and yeah, we haven't seen the best version of him, but I think most of that really has to do with the power play slowing because you look at five on five December, which was a much better uh, month for Elias Pedersen, his five on five play driving numbers as a line were really strong in the Canucks outscored outscored teams 10 to five in the month of December with Pedersen on the ice again. So after, I think in a month of November, especially the second half, where at even strength, he was really struggling. I think he's been driving play and and looking better at at five on five. We just we're just hoping that more of those chances can convert, um, especially once we hopefully see more consistency with uh, his wingers, uh, and that you know once the power play gets going, then his point totals will start to rack up too. But uh, I mean, at least the other night in Philly, uh, I thought he was moving pretty well. Yeah, I thought so as well. Um, I also thought Kuzmenko had a good game. Like, that was something I wanted to get out there. Um, Again, speaking of if the chance goes in, you're talking about them in a different light. There was that power play opportunity where Kuzmenko made a nice feed uh, cross-ice to Brock Besser. And look, like, when we talk about regression and luck, like, Brock Besser got unlucky there, not making full contact with the puck and putting it in the back of the net. Those seem to have all been going in for Brock Besser uh, to start the year. But I, I did. I thought it was a good game for Andre Kuzmenko. And, you know, while it sucked to see Huglander be the 13th forward, I was glad to see it wasn't Kuzmenko that came down because I thought that was more reflective of the performance of those two players last night. Like, I, I didn't think Mills Huglander had the best game. And um, there was a couple shifts back-to-back to start the game. Obviously, takes the penalty on the first shift of the game. Uh, but his second shift right after that, there was three turnovers in the neutral two probably two um two turnovers in the neutral zone and it's just like that can't happen uh with rick talking it, it can't it, it just can't happen so uh i i was kind of expecting it a little bit but i don't know if i was expecting 13th forward i was really thinking it would just be a demotion to the fourth line but uh we'll see we'll see what happens when the canucks return um in the new year grady you said you have a couple from facebook here let's bring them up um from Facebook. Uh, thoughts on a Jake Gensel rental. This one from TK. What other wingers or sellers uh, would on sellers, excuse me, would you consider? I like Jake Gensel as well, man. I think there's a lot out there. And uh, if I had to give you my top three in order, it goes Elias Lindholm, Jake Gensel, uh, and why am I forgetting? Adam Enrique is like, that's my top three. That's my top three wish list. Elias Lindholm is the golden one for me. Like that's the number one. I think he improves this team more than anybody else that you can go get on the trade market right now. And then I think Jake Gensel is a very close second, but I like Elias Lindholm because of that, um, uh, kind of that ability to also play center. It just gives the Canucks more roster flexibility. And obviously, um, like Lindholm's a legit Selkie candidate, right? So, um, brings a defensive element to the game that I think the Canucks could really use in their top six as well. So that's why he's my number one, but I do like Jake Gensel as well. Yeah. If you had to make a big swing, it, it for me, it would be Lindholm because he's a true centerman. And like you mentioned, he's excellent defensively. And what we've seen recently is the Miller line has struggled playing against top lines. And I don't think that's an indictment on Miller. I just think he's naturally, best at wing and he's the type of player that sure you can lean on him at center but if you're going to do that it's probably best to not have him going up against top line so that would immediately solve I think especially if you're if you're gonna go through a team like LA that down the middle has Kopitar, Deneau, Dubois it's a matchup nightmare in terms of three big bodies that are all uh, really good defensively 
and are surrounded by high quality two way wingers as well. So if you are swinging big, yes, Gensel is the sexier option as a goal scorer. And I'm sure he'd look great uh, next to somebody like Elias Patterson, but Lindholm's probably the more practical fit because then you could shift Miller to the wing and he becomes then that dynamic play driving winger that um, you uh, you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Thank you to everybody who contributed to this edition of anyone else. And thank you to all of our listeners who listened with us in 2023. I know there was a big change obviously on this show as well, but we appreciate all of our listeners and uh, yeah, we know there's a lot more of you who came over from the van cast when Harmon came on the show. And of course uh, there's a lot of regular listeners of Canucks combo as well. So I will say, uh, but first we have to get to Betway, of course, but uh, I will say, from me, Harmon Grady, and I'll lump him in, Chris Faber as well. Thank you to everybody who listened to Canucks Combo in 2023. We really appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it. And as we shift to the new year, let's get to our Betway bet of the day. Because on New Year's Day, those Seattle Kraken will take down the Vegas Golden Knights on their home soil at T-Mobile Park. I'm curious which Mariners are going to be there. Um We'll see. We'll see if anybody's in town. I think a lot of guys reported to drive line pretty early. Like I think Ty France bought a place in Seattle. Anyways, um, the Seattle Kraken to beat the Vegas Golden Knight at minus 110 odds. A $10 bet will return you $19.09 um, over on Betway, Betway, Betway. It must be 19 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. Uh, Harmon, closing thoughts for 2023 other than thanking the listeners? Not a lot beyond that. I mean, it's um, I'm just grateful that everybody sort of um, has embraced me with open arms. It's been an absolute blast to do this show. Uh, I've I've had a ton of fun and I'm glad for Canucks fans sake that 2023, especially uh, the fall and, and winter portion has finally resulted in the team getting back on track. I mean, I remember having uh, conversations uh last season when I'd occasionally fill in as co-host and during the darkest periods of the season, sort of saying that, Hey, you diehards that are sticking around now that listen to these podcasts that are on Canucks Twitter, that uh, catch as many games as you can, that are super invested going through those tough times, you're going to appreciate it and, and feel that much more um, excited compared to the people that, you know, no offense to anybody that's just jumping on the bandwagon because it's always always a great time to like i'm not one of those people that's like oh if you're a bandwagoner you can't enjoy it but i do think it hits different when you've been with a team during the lows and clearly anybody who's listening has followed the team uh, through a lot of these lows and i'm just excited that canucks fans finally have a team that's fun exciting and genuinely worth cheering for all right I love it. Uh, my closing thought of 2023 is we had someone in the chat jump in. Alec Taylor, he said, quads 1v1 me in Rocket League. And I, I just put my email in the chat. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, come, come, get some, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes. But uh, yeah, Alec, I'll play you in Rocket League. I'm actually not very good at 1v1, so I don't want to start chirping too much. But I'm pretty good at Rocket League. So should be a lot of fun. But Alec might be one of these. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk, Alec. We'll talk. We'll figure it out. But Harmon... Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. Grady, you as well. Um, you guys coming on the show has been fantastic. And honestly, um, obviously they were big size 14, 15 shoes to fill uh, of Chris Faber. And I think you guys have done an admirable job doing that. And I'm really happy 
uh, with the product that we've put out to close out 2023 and heading into 2024. Say hi, Tilly. And Tilly. I'm very happy for Tilly. Oh, she's being naughty. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly say uh, thanks to everyone watching on YouTube and listening to the pod and, and welcome me with open arms as a new producer here and just uh, excited to finally have a good hockey team to talk about after this last uh, decade of, uh, well, pretty pretty crappy hockey. So, uh, yeah, it's good. I'm obviously uh, here with Tilly and I'm sure she'll be making more appearances uh, when we're working from remotely at home but um yeah i just want to say happy new year to everyone and good luck on your resolutions and don't give up after uh the first three days probably like quads would do so yeah uh that's yeah, we'll that. see. all right <laughs> thanks guys appreciate it so much and of course the listeners thank you so much uh we really appreciate your support so for my co-host harman dial and our technical producer gray sass and tilly sass my name is david quadrelli thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.